0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church weekly podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. So it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you are, are here. It's gonna be a great day. It already is a great day, amen? A sweet time in the presence of God. And so many good things happening in our church, lots of things to be excited about. Uh, I'm excited about fall being right around the corner. Amen. Best time of the year. We're right on the brink of it. Told first service, you know, there's a lot of confusion about when we when we officially cross over into sweater season. So I'm just gonna go ahead and try to bring some clarity to it this morning. I, I decree that next Sunday officially begins sweater season. Uh, okay. So we can just all be on the same page and there's just take all the guesswork out of it as you're looking in your closet. And so if you've got a sweater that you've been waiting to slip into, next Sunday will not be too soon. But lots of exciting things going on. You know, last Sunday was the beginning of a new Connect Group season, which is exciting. We were together at Bridgeport City Park last Sunday evening, got to hang out, spend time with one another as we kind of launched this new uh, semester, And so if you were a part of that, thank you so much for being with us. Enjoyed getting to spend time with you. So starting tonight and next Sunday night, people are going to be meeting in homes, digging into the word of God, spending time praying together, growing in their relationship with each other, their relationship with the Lord. It's such an important thing that we do as a church and really as, as the body of Christ that we have that kind of fellowship that can only be had in the body of Christ. So if you have not made it into a connect group, a family within the family. I really want to encourage you to take the necessary steps to get yourself plugged into one. So in a little while, when we have you fill out a connect card, put on there that you'd like to be in a connect group and you're not, we'll follow up with you and help you get plugged into one. You need to be in one so you can grow, you can be known, loved, and cared for. So we, we want to get you in one of those environments. So that, that happened last Sunday. We launched that new season of Connect Groups last Sunday. I uh, Made an announcement that we've added to our pastoral staff and brought on Chad Dillon to be an executive pastor with us. So that's that's exciting to have him. He's a, a, an amazing blessing to our church and to our, our, our church staff. So it's great to have him as part of our team and part of our family. This week is going to be a great week. Wednesday night is prayer night. We're going to get to take time to, to pray together. Adults... We'll be in the upstairs auditorium. Youth will be here in the main sanctuary, so I encourage you to be a part of that. And Friday night is date night. We'll give you more in- information on that if you're a married or engaged couple. So there's a lot of exciting things going on. Man, it's just a great, great time of year, a great time to be alive and in the body of Christ. So, so many good things happening. We, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we've covered a lot of territory as we've, as we've worked through the first 10 or so chapters, we've seen God pour out his Holy Spirit. We've seen the birth of the church. The church begin to advance and take territory. We've seen persecution break out against the church, but it continues to advance. In fact, it starts to spread even more. Then last week, we looked at chapter 10, and it was a, a significant chapter because it marks where the gospel begins to go to Gentiles for the first time. Peter has that vision, and he goes to Cornelius' house. And as he's preaching the gospel to them, which up until that point was like a big no-no, it was by the Spirit of God and by visions and angels showing up to create this scenario that God pours out his spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues. The Jews that are there are amazed, they're astonished that God has given his spirit to Gentile believers as well. And we talked about last week the significance of that, that Jesus is for everyone, that the gospel is for everyone, that nobody falls outside of the parameters of God's heart, God's love, God's desire to bring people close to him. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Anywhere that you have a belonging in your mind or the enemies build a stronghold or stirred up doubt? Well yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for me or I'll never carry an anointing like that person. God's not looking to hold back in any of our lives. He's all in on you as much as you're willing to receive. He wants to give you everything that He has. Amen. No good thing, the Bible says, does He withhold from those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So, if there is a, a question about whether God wants you to go to that deeper, higher, stronger place, listen, on God's end, he, He's all in on you. It's just a matter of receiving. The gospel is for everyone, the anointing is for everyone, the Spirit of God is for everyone that would receive. It's for everyone. We looked at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He's he's presenting the gospel. He starts off and he says, well, you know how how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed uh, of the devil. And that's the role that we have in this life. If we're going to carry that same Holy Spirit, that same anointing, he wants us to live our lives like like Jesus did, to to go around doing good and healing people who need healing and delivering people who need deliverance. That, that, That is our role while we are here. And so we're going to pick things up in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 11, if your connect group is meeting tonight, you can discuss what we talk about today. If you've been studying this along with us, different things that you've been learning insight, the Holy Spirit's been giving you next week. Any guesses where we'll be Acts chapter 12? Wasn't it? Wasn't a trick question. The numbers go in order like that. So after 11 is is 12. So this week you can study it. We'll talk about it next week. We'll feel like the Lord is speaking to us as a church when you get together with your Connect Group family. Break out your your notebook, your journal, your diary, whatever you, you call the book that you... You write in, and you can share, you know, here's what God was speaking to me about this. I told you we're leaving a lot of meat on the bones, and your your Connect Group family is a great place to, to dig into that. So Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. I don't know if you've ever had a scenario in your life or a conversation that you're having with somebody that you're, you're sharing something that is a big deal. Maybe it's really good news. And as you're sharing it with them, maybe your spouse, a friend, your, your child, you can tell that they're missing the point of what you're saying that you're sharing something big and they're focused on some little side detail. Like that's not not even what I'm saying. That's not even like, you're missing the scope of what I'm trying to communicate. It it can happen a lot of different scenarios. I remember when I was a youth pastor and would take kids away to youth camp, which was always just an amazing week with these young people. And we'd spend all week, you know, staying up late and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, having powerful times in the presence of God. You'd come back at the end of the week and it was awesome, but you would be exhausted. And I can remember reporting back what had happened <clears throat> and sharing, you know, we had, we had 18 kids give their hearts to the Lord and 20 kids received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a dozen kids felt a call into full-time ministry and just sharing all, everything that happened, what God did at camp, and the only response being something along the lines of, well, I can tell you one thing you didn't do last week. You didn't clean out the van when you got back. You just think, i <laughs> I got back at midnight. I was exhausted. I hadn't seen my family in a week. I was gonna do it. I was gonna do it first thing Monday morning. You know, just like you're missing the, you're not hearing how, how beautiful what I'm sharing with you is. You're, you're focused on something that that doesn't really matter. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but that's similar to what's happening in these first few verses. It says, when when news got back to the believers in Jerusalem. News arrived. They, they heard what had been going on. What, what did they hear? Heard, they heard something about Peter and the Gentiles. What was it? It wasn't that Peter had been partying with the Gentiles. It wasn't that he'd been sleeping around with a bunch of Gentile women. What was the news? The news was, I'll read it again, verse one. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. That was the news. The Gentiles, these people that were pagans, heathens on their way to hell, No relationship with God. The news is, hey, these people now love Jesus. They've given their hearts to the Lord. They heard about Jesus and they said, we want to follow him. We want to give our hearts to him. We choose to leave our old life. We're now, we're in on Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. That that was the news that they heard. And it says when Peter arrived back, he gets back to Jerusalem after having this amazing experience and seeing the Gentiles begin serving Jesus, just lift their hands, begin praying in the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. He knows that they've heard about. News has gotten back. He comes. He doesn't get a high five. He doesn't get a handshake and a congratulations. He doesn't get, you know, confetti thrown and, you know, hey, we're going to have a party and celebrate what God is, is doing. He gets what? He gets criticized for it. He gets back, and the Jewish believers are standing on the front porch or wherever he's meeting them out, tapping their foot, upset with him. Why? They don't talk about how they've received the word of God. He says, "We heard that you were in the home of Gentiles, and Mister, uh-huh. you ate with them." Uh-huh. <laughs> You've made- you're missing the point. They're on their way to heaven. They know, they know Jesus. You're worried that I sat down at the table and had a meal with them. It, it reminds me of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, you remember that story? Jesus tells this amazing story. Uh, It's a parable about a dad, and he's got two sons. And one day the younger one says, Dad, I just want to go ahead and take my inheritance. I want to get out of here. And the father lets him. And he goes to some land far away, and he blows all the money having parties and with women, drinking, all of that. And once he's out of money, the land where he is, there's a famine. There's no food. He ends up working for a farmer, feeding the pigs. He's so... So desperate, so destitute, that he ends up being jealous of the pigs. He's looking at them like, man, oh, to be a pig. You guys don't know how good you've got it. And while he's admiring what the pigs are eating, he has this thought. Well, I know I've like, I can't be a son anymore. I know I've, and I've burned that bridge, but maybe I'll go back to my dad and I just present this idea. Could I work for you? Would you hire me? I could be like a slave. I could be a servant. You remember the story? He goes back and the dad, the dad doesn't accept him as a servant. The dad runs to meet him, embraces him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his fingers, sandals. It's this beautiful story. He, he kills the fattened calf, strike up the band. They're having a party. People are dancing. It's a celebration, right? That this son is back. But then the older son, the older son shows up. And it says that he can hear the music. He knows, man, there's commotion. What, what in the world is going on? And he asks somebody, asks a servant, what, what, what exactly is going on here? Oh, well, what happened is you remember your younger brother. Well, he, he came back and your dad killed the fad calf and he, he's not excited about it. He's upset about it. And the father, it says the father comes outside to meet the older son. And it says that he begs him son, please, I'm begging you, come inside and celebrate. Come on, we're having a good time. We're celebrating your younger brother is back. Would you please, I'm begging you, please come in and celebrate. Please come in and rejoice. And it says that, that the older brother, his, his argument was, all this time, you didn't give me so much as a goat for me and my friends. Ca- caught up on food. And, and, and now you guys are killing the fatted calf? I won't, I won't go in. He's. You're missing the point. You're worried about whether or not you had a goat or not. And now we're having the fat, calf. and the father says, my son was dead, yes. and now he's, now he's alive. My son was lost. Now, forget about the goats and who's eaten what and what animal's been killed. Forget that. He was lost, and now he's found. Would you please rejoice with me? But the older brother, that story just kind of ends there. We, we, we don't know what happens next, but it seems like this older brother It is too bent out of shape to be excited about a person who's lost being found again. There's a tendency in our hearts to move that direction, and we've got to be cautious and examine our hearts. The older we get, the longer we've been serving the Lord, the more dignified and refined, the more polished we get. You with me? that there's a tendency to get less and less excited uh, yes. about sinners finding their way home. Yes. That we're, we're not so excited about that anymore. In fact, we, we, we give up some of that passion and zeal and excitement for people being born in the kingdom of God, and we become judgmental. We, we become more, we're more of a critic now. We're so, we're so far into this. We've reached such a spiritual level. Instead of just being excited and happy, now let's examine exactly what's taking place here. I saw that guy. Yes, he did come up and give his heart to the Lord. But if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw him two months ago. So I don't know if this thing's genuine. I don't know if it's going to take or not. So let's just kind of hold. Who are you? He's, he's, he's coming to reestablish relationship with, with his, his father that we critique. That we just kind of, I'm not sure if I... I appreciate the way that altar call was given. Eyes open, eyes closed, hands raised. They came to the altar. They didn't come. Listen, it's about people coming to know Jesus. And instead of moving into judgmental, critical mode, we're supposed to rejoice that the people who are lost are becoming found. So we, we've got, listen, we've got to guard ourselves. Don't, don't let yourself. And I don't know if you'd be honest enough to say that you felt that pull. I felt that pull. I feel that that tug sometimes to move from z- zeal about the lost becoming found, becoming re- refined and, and too dignified. Anyone, anyone admit that you feel that we... You can admit it. It doesn't mean that you're giving into it. You need to know that it's there so you can fight against it and push against it and keep your heart fresh. If we read the entire, the entire Luke chapter 15 account where Jesus is telling these parables, tells this parable of a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep, but one's missing. And he goes out after the one and a woman who's got 10 coins, but she loses one. When that shepherd and that woman find the one that was lost, what do they do? They go to all the people around them and they say, rejoice with me because my sheep, rejoice with me because my, my coin. I found, I found my coin. They're looking for people To rejoice with them. And Jesus is telling this story, not for the sake of if you ever lose a sheep, here's how you handle it. If you ever lose a quarter, here's what you do. He's he's giving us what the Father's heart is like, right? Here's here's how the Father's heart operates. So when someone who's lost becomes found, what is he looking for? He's looking for people. The Father wants people, come and rejoice with me. Even if you don't care about the person, rejoice because you care about him. And he's excited about it. When you enjoy something, you look for people to be with that also enjoy what you enjoy, right? And it's no fun when you really enjoy some something, but you're spending time with someone who doesn't enjoy what it is that you're trying to enjoy, right? It can kill the whole thing. It makes it like, oh, forget it. Whatever. You, if you love shopping and you go shopping with someone that doesn't like shopping, it kind of spoils it, right? You know, that they're miserable and they're just shuffling along. It's like... You know what, forget it. I'll go shopping another time by myself. If you like hunting, if you like watching football, you want somebody who can be into it with you, right? It, it like, adds to the excitement. It makes it more fun. I really enjoy this. I want someone else who really enjoys it with me. you're trying to watch a a football game with someone who's just a sour puss about football, is it really necessary for those men to crawl all over each other like that? No, it's... No, it's not necessary. Just turn it off. Forget it. Let's read something out of it. Right? right? It it, it robs... So he's talking about the father's heart. The father operates that way too. He's not looking for people that are too, like like the older brother, like, well, it was a fatted calf. That seems like you're going, we're rejoicing. We're we're trying to be excited. Rejoice with me because there's someone that I love that was lost. They are now found. That's the heart of the father. And this whole thing, chapter 10, talking about it more today with the Gentiles being brought into the family of God, that reveals the heart of the father is for the outsider. The heart of the Father is for those on the outside, not just focused on those on the inside. That's the heart of the Father. He's for people on the outside. That's where his focus is. Even, again, Luke chapter 15. There's more rejoicing over the one that was lost becoming found than the 99 that were never lost in the first place. Whether we think that's appropriate, fair, or not, that's the heart of the Father. His focus is on the outside. That's why we read Ephesians chapter 2 last week talking about Gentiles, where it says, Remember... Remember that you once were outsiders, had no covenant, no promises of God. You were alone in this world without hope, without Christ. He says, Remember that. Remember, you used to be an outsider. Why? Because then you can understand how wonderful it is that God's heart is for the outsider. Because that heart for the outsider is what moved you from being an outsider to an insider. That's how we got into the kingdom of God. Because God's heart is for the people that don't know him to bring them so that we do know him. So it's important that you and I line our hearts up with him. And the tendency is people are selfish. You're selfish. I mean, you know, just left to your own devices. You are selfish. We just are. So once we become insiders, where does the focus become? If we're not careful, it becomes on us. It becomes on, we're insiders. We should make church about us. We should make things about us. We should try to just make it so we're comfortable in our own preferences and how we want things to go that it becomes about us. But the Father's heart is for the outsider. So the way we do things as a church, the way that we function, we should be sensitive we should be focused, we should have an awareness on the outsider so we can bring them to become inside. That's, that's where the Father's heart is moving outsiders to insiders. That's the Father's heart. Do you know that on an average Sunday, we have between 10 and 20 first time guests? That's amazing. Between, the, yeah. We know, you're unsure whether to clap or not. And yeah, you're right. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends how they are received. Because it's because they come for the first time. Obviously, not everyone's sticking around. When people come to church for the first time, first of all, that's a huge step. Maybe it's been a while since you came to a church for the first time. I mean there's a lot of nerves, a lot of like uh, discomfort that you've got to get over to come in. And especially larger churches can be intimidating to people. So the larger our church gets, the more intentional we're going to have to be about making people that are outsiders feel like they're welcome. One of the reasons people come to church is because they're looking for belonging. They want to they want to be loved and accepted. We're wired that way. People were made to be a part of the family of God. And until they are, there's going to be a longing that longing for belonging, right? So maybe you're here and you're one of those people. If this is a regular Sunday, there's 10 to 20 people here, it's their first time. So when people come and they're looking for belonging, do I fit here? Do I, do I, can I be loved here? But we're just all satisfied in the fact that we belong and we're just excited to see each other and we're just clumped up in our little groups of friends that we haven't seen in a week. You can have people come, they're looking to belong and we all feel like we belong, but they're, they're on the outside looking in. So we've got to be aware because we're not supposed to represent ourselves that I'm not supposed to represent me and represent that I've got a lot of great friends and that I'm surrounded by wonderful people and I've got a great family and I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable, I'm pretty satisfied. I'm supposed to represent the heart of the Father. You're supposed to represent the heart of Jesus. So when people come, what's his heart? We, there's a place for you. Everyone belongs. I want you, there is a place. You belong in the family of God and we've got a spot that is just right for you. But like Pastor Jonathan's been saying on Sunday mornings, it's not the same without you. We, we need you. You belong in the family of God. that That's what we're supposed to represent. Not just representing my little circle of friends and how happy I am. Praise God for that, but not everybody has that. We're supposed to be connecting people with the newness of life that's found only, found only in Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. We talked about that last week. That when God says something, it's a mistake to disagree with what God says. Right? Don't disagree. If God says something, don't say something different than what God says. We should agree with God concerning you, what he has to say about you, your role, your calling, your anointing. Don't disagree. Don't, don't side with your feelings over what God has to say about you. If God said it, we need to line ourselves up with that. But again, in context about people, if God says, I want that person, they're desirable. We, we've got to take his heart and his perspective on it, that he desires everybody. And that means we, we've got to go after who? Yes, everybody, everybody. everybody. But the voice from heaven, verse 9 again, spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just then three men who'd been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? So he kind of recounts the the whole story. If you missed last week, well, now you're caught up to speed. He tells us everything that happened in, in chapter 10. Which, do you think that the Holy Spirit, when he's inspiring this to be written, when he's writing chapter 11 forgot that he just you just told us this in the last chapter. Do you think it slipped his mind or is this so incredibly important the way that this this the way that this happens. The emphasis on God making it a point three times in chapter 10, three times in in chapter 11 emphasize and re-emphasize, God wants everyone. No one is outside. Don't, don't, don't turn your heart, don't turn a blind eye towards these people. God wants them in. The Holy Spirit knew he, knew he just told us that, but he's emphasizing it because it is so incredibly important. Now notice as he's recounting it, the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dealt with Peter's heart. The Holy Spirit caused them to have a vision. The Holy Spirit said, hey, when these men come, go ahead and go with them. Don't worry about their gen- that they're Gentiles. The Holy Spirit dealt with Cornelius. The Holy Spirit sent those men to go and find Peter. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles as they heard the gospel and gave their hearts to the Lord. That The Holy Spirit is working through this entire, entire thing. It's important that we stay sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is orchestrating everything that happens in this story. And Peter Peter had objections, right? Peter had his own prejudice. Peter had his own preferences. There were certain things that he thought were appropriate and inappropriate and how he would do things and how he wouldn't do things. But in spite of that, because he kept himself yielded to the moving of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit... In spite of all those objections and preferences and all this stuff he had in his own mind, he was still able to be used by God and carry out the will of God because he stayed sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You and I have objections. You and I have opinions that might not always match up with the opinion of God. And that can be okay as long as we keep ourselves yielded and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That in spite of, I don't know if I would have done it that way. I'm not sure if I would want that guy in my family. Listen, if I can stay sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can help me trust all of that nonsense going on in my own heart, in my own mind, but I've got to be careful not to allow my preferences and my emotions in my own mind to trump what the Holy Spirit's telling us. So the Holy Spirit moves through this whole situation. He recounts the story. Verse 18 says, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, quieted down because what? Because they're all criticizing Peter, it told us. They're all objecting. No, 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 it can't be. Gentiles can't know Jesus. The gospel isn't for them. He tells them the story, and by the time he gets to the end, and the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit falls on these people. Yes. By the time he gets to that part, people start closing their mouths and thinking about it for a minute. They quieted down, and then it says that they glorified God. They glorified, how did they glorify God? By singing Shout to the North and the South? No, it says that they glorified God by what? They said something. They glorified God by saying, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. Examine the situation. They spoke the heart of God. God. God has granted to everybody the privilege of repentance that leads to life. That's how they glorified God. When our words match the heart of God, it brings them glory. An effective way to glorify God is to make sure that what comes out of your mouth is in line with what's in his heart. When you speak truth, what God has to say about you, your family, your situation, your healing, whatever it is, when your words match the word, when your words match the heart of the Father, it glorifies, it glorifies God. God has granted to the Gentiles also What's he granted them? Repentance that leads to life. Repentance. I just want to take a couple minutes to focus on this. This is so important. Repentance that leads to what? What does repentance lead to? Repentance that leads to life. Repentance. What is repentance? How do do we get... this place that leads to life. Repentance very simply is somebody turns from doing their own thing, engaging in sin. I'm just doing whatever feels good, whatever makes sense to me, just kind of doing my own thing. I'm going to turn from that. Instead, I'm going to submit my life to God. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I choose to be obedient to God, right? That basically that's what repentance is. I'm saying no to sin Instead, I'm gonna obey God. I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna walk in holiness, I'm gonna walk in righteousness. A a choice to walk in holiness, it says that it leads to life. It leads to life. Just like sin, the wages of sin is death. Saying no to sin and yes to the Lord, it it leads it leads to life. This is so important because this is a starting point. A starting point for everything God wants to do in your life is repentance. It's a decision. I'm not gonna do my own thing, I'm not gonna sin. I choose to walk in righteousness. I choose to walk in holiness. That that is the ignition to everything God wants to do in your life. And it's consistent in scripture. I'll give you a couple of other verses that we've already read in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied... Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God wants to forgive them. God wants to put his name on them. God wants to put his spirit in them. Where does it all start? They asked Peter, What should we do? What's the first thing he said? It, it It wasn't just somewhere in the mix. Repent. Be done with sin. Get sin out of your life. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Receive forgiveness of sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. What happens after you repent? That you can be converted, your sins your sins cleansed away, and that times of refreshing can come from the presence of God. It starts with repentance. I'm done with sin. I want holiness. I want obedience. And that, set, that sets someone off to receiving everything God has for them. This is important because the enemy will try to get people serving, after they start serving the Lord, to eventually start finding their way back into sin. Start making allowance for sin in their lives. And when you choose to allow sin to come back in, you because know, you're, you're, you're more mature now, so you can start cracking the door open. It's not that big of a deal. I can, I can let this kind of slide. I've kind of recognized in church people don't think this is a big deal. I can kind of compromise here and there. Nobody will find out about this. When you do that, when you give up holiness, what else are you giving up? Refreshing from the presence of God. You're also giving up life. You're inviting death into your life. Because it's repentance, it's holiness. People deal with so many issues that they blame on the devil when in reality they should be blaming themselves because their allowance for sin in their lives is what's opened them up. Man, I'm so worn out. My life is so cold. My life is so stale. My prayer, my prayer life is dead. It's because you allowed sin into your life and life comes from repentance. Life comes from walking in holiness, refreshing from the presence of God comes from making a decision. I'm not going to allow sin in my life anymore. We live in a time where even in church culture, it's become edgy and trendy to allow certain sins to become a of your life, to compromise and go along with culture in relationships and se- things sexual in your life, living with someone that you're not married to, allowing yourself to become drunk, all kinds of different areas that the, the modern church has become accepting of, but the, the Bible hasn't changed. God's word stands true forever. And if he says that we shouldn't do it, listen, walking in obedience and holiness might make you seem foolish and out of touch in the short term. The world doesn't understand holiness. It doesn't understand obedience. So you might become an object of mockery in the short term. But in the long term, you'll never regret walking in obedience. In the long term, you'll always be glad that you chose holiness over sin. We've got to keep an eye on eternity. Live not for, not for the short term or the temporary. There are people that have made compromises that seem to pay off short term but they they paid dearly long term and people that have made sacrifices short term that paid dearly long term in a positive in a positive way so when people mock you think that you're crazy think that you're a prude think that you're just out of touch, you're old-fashioned because you're waiting till you're married, because you're choosing not, not to get drunk or go to that place, whatever the example is, because you don't watch that kind of thing or look at those things or engage with those kind of people, whatever it is, when you're saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that, and you're an object of mockery, listen, if you're walking in obedience and holiness long-term, you'll always be thankful that you did. You can have 10 years of obedience that makes you look like a fool, and the 11th year, you become, it looks like the entire 11 years, you were you were completely wise, because it it manifests. Yes, exactly. Noah is a great example of this. There was a large season of Noah's life where he looked like a fool. Yes. He spent his resources, he spent his time, he spent his energy doing what? Obeying God. He, he looked like a crazy man. He's building a giant boat when it didn't even rain, building it on dry ground. Ga- he looked like he was crazy. And then in the span of 24 hours, he seemed like the smartest man who ever walked the earth because yep. he walked in obedience and he was living for the long term. There come a point in time, in this life or in the next life, where you, you seem so wise for choosing to walk in holiness and righteousness and not giving in to the sway of culture and temptation and everything that this world would have to offer. We've got to be people that walk in holiness and righteousness. Repentance leads to life. The early church had moving of God's spirit, signs and wonders, miracles, all kinds of wonderful things because they genuinely consecrated themselves to the Lord. There was a high, a high standard of righteousness and holiness. And if we want to experience what they experienced, we've got to have a high standard of holiness and righteousness in our church. Let, let me read to you from Second Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 20, it says, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of us. We've escaped from the wickedness of the world because we've come to know Jesus. When people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better if they had not known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb that a dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. Why would Peter give us that kind of warning? Because it happens all the time. People come to know Jesus, they get their life pure, and then they drift back into sin. He said, you would have been been better off to never have known Jesus in the first place. What's that saying? Someone who doesn't know Jesus in the first place, where are they headed? Someone who doesn't know Jesus. They're on their way to hell. It's possible to be worse off than that. That that, that is a pretty bad situation to be in. Then you're worse off than someone that's on their way to hell. That you knew the way of righteousness and you rejected the command to live a holy life. That's that's what it says. Every blessing God has for you, the starting point is repentance. It starts with walking in holiness, times of refreshing from his presence, the the spirit of God filling you, anointing, the leading of the Holy Spirit, different blessings that he wants to pour out in your life. The starting point is a decision. God, I I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want a a life of sin. I, I want to follow you. A choice to obey the Lord. Verse 19. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the per- persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus, the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So, says, meanwhile, believers are still being scattered all over the place. They're going from one city to another to another. And what happens everywhere these believers go? Everywhere the believers go, the seed of the word of God goes with them and they continue to tell people about Jesus. Everywhere these believers go, people are being born into the kingdom of God. You could tell if if Christians had gone there because there were more Christians than there were before. That, that That was the consistent string of everywhere believers went. What happens consistently everywhere that you go? What happens consistently everywhere that we go? Are we reproducing? Everywhere we go is it, man, the gospel's being preached. Everywhere those people from Center Branch go, they're talking about Jesus. They're they're telling people about the good news about Jesus, and more people are being brought into relationship with the Lord. That, That was the consistent thing in the early church. Everywhere they went, they were telling people the good news about Jesus. Verse 22, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas had it figured out. Barnabas understood. He saw people come to know the Lord. He was filled with great joy. He was rejoicing, right? He was rejoicing with the Lord. Rejoice with me. He wasn't upset about what people ate where. He was rejoicing. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith, And many people were brought to the Lord. Another translation says many people were added, added to the Lord. They're added to the Lord. Not just added to the church. In order to be added to the church, you have to first be added to the Lord. You have to come into a relationship with Jesus. They were added to the Lord, and that's how we're added to the church. You know, we want to see our church grow. We have a vision right now to get to a point where we're 1,000 strong. And after that, we want to continue to grow. That's just a goal to set in the meantime, to grow to be 1,000 strong. It's not just about our church growing. It's about the kingdom of God growing. We want to see more and more people in our church because we want to see more and more people added to the Lord. It's not just about being added to the church. We want to see people added to the Lord because if, if people move from one church to another, you can have one church get really, really big, but the kingdom really hasn't grown at all. So I know there's lots, maybe most of us, there's only a couple people in our church that I think are born and raised. We we do have a few born and raised here. So this isn't condemnation. If you've come from another church, I came from another church and the Lord does move people from time to time. But we don't wanna grow, get to be a thousand strong. You can get to a, we can go to a thousand strong and not one more person come to know Jesus. Uh, I'd rather shrink and have more people added to Jesus and then end up going to another church than for us to get to a thousand strong, but nobody comes to know Jesus. They were added to the Lord. For the kingdom of God to advance, more people have to hear about Jesus so they can accept Jesus, so they can be added to the church. First, they have to be added to the Lord. In order for God's kingdom to grow, people have to be added to the Lord, not just move. I used to go to church here, now I go to church here. The kingdom hasn't advanced. But we've plateaued. So, so church growth methodologies that focused on becoming just attractional to other Christians, the kingdom doesn't grow. The the gospel has to go out and people need to be added to the Lord. And that's how the church grows. Then Barnabas, verse 25, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It was at Antioch when all this was going on. People teaching, talking about the Lord. It's the first time that they were called Christians. Christians was there. Christians. You know, we were out to dinner last night and While we were at the restaurant, I noticed a bunch of people came into the restaurant just kind of trickling in, wearing gold and blue and West Virginia gear. And I I didn't have to ask them. I could tell by what they were saying, the way they were conducting themselves, how they had clothed themselves. I knew that they were on their way home from the WVU game, right? I I just knew. They're West Virginia fans. They're West Virginians. Right by, by the way they conduct themselves. I, I just knew, hey, those are West Virginians, West Virginia fans, how they'd clothe themselves. It says, in, in this town, people started becoming, if you're a follower of Jesus, you earn the reputation of being, you are a Christian, a Christ, a Christian. Like you, you are from West Virginia, you are a West Virginian. You're from America, you are an American. It means that's, that's where I'm from, that's where I belong. That's, that's where I'm at home. Well, we've been born into Christ. That I'm at home in Christ, you're at home in, in Christ. That's where, we, that's where we belong. That you are a Christ, a Christ Ian, a Christian. So they, they earn the reputation of being Christians of the way that they acted, the way they conducted themselves, how they clothed themselves in righteousness, how they put on Christ. And you could tell that they're going around, they're they're acting, they're acting like Jesus. They're acting like, like Christ. You know, Jesus, Jesus was Jesus Christ, not because that was his last name. You know that, right? Christ wasn't just Jesus' last name. It was a title. It was a description. It was a calling. It was describing the reality. It means the anointed one that Jesus was Jesus Christ because he carried the presence of God, the spirit of God, that he had a specific calling on his life, that he was sent to seek and save the lost, the spirit of the sovereign God was upon him to preach good news. That's why he was the Christ. He was called Jesus Christ. So we are called Christians Christians, for a similar reason, that the same spirit that was in Jesus is in our lives, that we can have that same presence of God and we have a similar calling to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, Sometimes people wear the, the title Christian like they do carry a last name. You know, last names used to be more descriptive too. You have someone that was John Smith because he was a blacksmith and worked with metals and it was a description of his calling and the role that he filled in society. But now you can have somebody with that last name. It's just, it's just I don't know, it's just John Smith. I don't, I don't know. Steve Johnson. Oh, he's John's son. you the son of John. No, my, dad, my dad's name is Mark. I don't know. So it, it don't, they don't mean as much anymore, right? Well, Christian can be like that. It used, it used to mean, man, those, those people are Christians. They, they go around, they carry the presence of God. They're just, they, those people live from a point, all their life is all about Jesus. They carry an anointing. They, they just go around seeking and saying the lost. And in our lives, it can be just come like a, a last name. It's just like, like yeah, I, don't, yeah, I go to church. Christian used to mean something more than it means now. Now it just means eh, they're, they're Christians. It means they're conservative. They lean, they lean to, to the right when it comes to their voting. They vote Republican. They're Christians. That's not what it's supposed to mean. It's supposed to mean I carry the presence of Jesus Christ on the inside of me, and I align myself with his mission, and that's how I conduct my life. I'm here on a mission to seek and save that which that, that, that is lost, that I carry the Spirit of God on the inside. I'm an anointed one. If you are a Christian, every time you call yourself a Christian, you're identifying I'm an anointed one. An anointed means I've got a job to do. I've got an assignment to carry out, and that's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, not just like, eh, it's a title. I'm not sure, yeah, it means I go to church on give up my Sundays, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm here on a mission. It's a calling. It's a description of the reality of your life that you are an anointed. You are an anointed one. You know, as we read through this chapter, the bulk of this chapter is talking about people going and telling others about Jesus. Peter recounting his story. How he, would, man, I traveled all this way and I, I told people about Jesus and they were born into the kingdom of God, got poured out of spirit. Then it says, meanwhile, there's these other people traveling around telling people about Jesus and the kingdom of God is growing. Barnabas goes and checks it out. Even more people are added to the Lord. That's the bulk of this chapter. So I don't know how we could read this chapter and not come away challenged that that's what we need to be doing as followers of Jesus. We need to be busy telling other people about Jesus, that I'm an anointed one, I'm supposed to be a Christian. You know, I wonder if, if Christian was never a term, if they never, if in chapter 11, in Antioch, nobody ever came up with that name that we could conduct ourselves in a way that they'd come up with that name now by the way that we live our lives. That the people in our community would watch us live our lives, and even if they've never heard that term, it didn't exist, they'd watch us. Man, those people are like a bunch of little Christs running around. Those anointed people go around advancing the kingdom, talking about Jesus, healing all who are sick and oppressed of the enemy. They're, they're, you know, let's just start calling them Christians because that's how they conduct themselves, that we, we would be worthy of that kind of name being added to our lives to describe the way that we conduct ourselves. Ourselves. We need to be busy telling people about Jesus. That, that's our assignment. We're anointed to do it. It's just whether we're obedient or not. So I, I want to take a, a couple minutes to pray this morning. And I want to challenge you to make a commitment that this week, this week you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. You're going to tell someone about Jesus. I, I, you can pray about it. I want you to be in business. If you make that commitment in just a couple of minutes, if you're willing to make that commitment, I want to pray for you. I want to anoint you. You are a Christian. You are an anointed one. That you're going to go out this week and bring people into the kingdom of God. That by the time we meet together next week, there's gonna be testimonies of co-workers and friends and family members and neighbors and, and waitresses and waiters that are born into the kingdom of God. Families that right now are lost, we born into the kingdom of God. And if God's dealing with our heart, if the spirit of God is stirring us up, I need to tell people about Jesus. What we've seen as we've been studying Acts is if the Holy Spirit is dealing on one end of the situation, he's working on the other end of the situation as well. As God is stirring people's hearts, man, I got to tell someone about Jesus. I got to do something. I can't keep it shut up. I know I've got a responsibility. That means the Holy Spirit is busy somewhere in someone's living room, in a restaurant, in in someone's bed as they're sleeping in on a Sunday morning. He's working on their heart, tilling the ground, preparing them for that encounter you have with them this week that when you're willing to speak a word, just like Peter, you've got your prejudices. I don't want to do it. I don't feel comfortable. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do, he wants to bring people into relationship with Jesus. If you'll yield yourself to him, the Holy Spirit's already working on the other end of the situation to make sure that you're effective and you bring forth fruit this week. So I want to pray with people that'll make that commitment. This week, I I commit. I will tell someone about Jesus. I'm telling someone about Jesus. I'm proclaiming the gospel. And if it sounds too complicated or difficult, go back to chapter 10 and look at how Peter proclaimed it. It's not complicated. God God sent his son Jesus. He went around healing people. But you know what? They ended up killing him. And he died on the cross three days later. God raised him from the dead. And anyone who believes in Jesus can have forgiveness of sins. You you can can boil it down. Don't make it complicated. It's simple. The gospel is the power of God. Romans chapter 1 says the gospel, that simple message, the simplicity of it's the power of God to save to the uttermost, to destroy strongholds of sin, to pull someone out of the fires of hell, to pull someone out of the kingdom of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of God's dear son. The gospel has that power. Nothing's powerful like the gospel. Don't don't get bored with it. Don't be bored with the gospel. It's the power of God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.